0: Chapter 11. I'll be reading Hebrews 11 verses eight through 12. Hebrews 11:8 through 12. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. since she considered him faithful who had promised. And therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word to our minds and to our hearts and to our desires and our affections. Father, thank you. We thank you for such a gift as your son. He was a gift not only to us, but as he was a gift to Abraham and to Sarah. Because through him you gave Abraham the gift of faith. Like you do to all his children. And on this side of the cross through Jesus Christ. And through that faith because of the cross of Christ. You justify dirty, rotten sinners like me. You're so good. We thank you for your presence, Lord, that help me be faithful to this passage. Help me teach well, but don't leave us. Allow the Spirit who is so manifest here, even right now, to continue to cause our hearts to bow, to have ears to hear, to delight in you. That we would love what we see to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we work through Hebrews, we've been in chapter 11, I think, three weeks. What better place this morning to go in order to learn about the dynamics of what saving faith is, other than to Abraham who is clearly called the father of all who believe. The father of faith. For Paul in Romans chapter 4 and in Galatians chapter 3 he puts Abraham forth as exhibit A of what does it mean to believe. What does it mean to trust God? That kind of faith that justifies sinners like Abraham or anybody who has fled for refuge in Jesus. In Galatians 3, Paul said it this way, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In verse 29 of Galatians 3, And if you are Christ, you belong to Him, Then you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs according to promise. And what is clearly illustrated here in our passage is that obedience and faith go together, they are distinct, but they are inseparable. I've been a Christian for 43 years now in an American evangelical church. There have been massive attempts to water down the gospel. And what God has taught us about what it means to be saved. Attempts at its core to separate obedience from saving faith. As though you could be saved. That you could... Have saving faith without ever having any evidence of it that results in repentance or obedience to God's word. The faith that saves is never some passive thing. Just say a prayer. Ask Jesus to come in to your heart. Don't you believe that, right? Yeah. It is never merely a a mental assent to some propositions of the Scripture. It is that. But the faith that Abraham demonstrates to us involves deep affections of the heart and of the mind toward God in what he has said. Toward the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And those deep affections produce obedience. The Apostle Paul, he expresses it this way in Romans 6, verses 17 to 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Now when Paul said that, He he was not discussing some higher level of Christian living where you have the super spiritual Christians or the elite. He was speaking of what it means to be a Christian. In much of the evangelical world in this last century, And what they've done, they're desperate. They're desperate to undo the idea that saving faith is some single act. Basking Jesus into your heart. And that then, as you walk out a door, the next week, the next month and for the rest of your life. Everything else that comes from that is just totally separate from saving faith. That's what has been put into a lot of people's heads. This separation. Oh, this is what we call it. Well, I know. See, they really walk with Jesus because they're discipled. But we got other Christians, they're just not discipled. No one's discipled them. Or so there's a spiritually discipled Christian. Here's these over here. And many of us who are old enough, we know from the old King James, it, it goes like this. This is just a carnal Christian, a word for fleshly in another term. So, in other words, they just live like they're unbelievers, but they ask Jesus in to their heart and they've been told they're saved and don't ever doubt it but it's as if they teach some that as long as you've asked Jesus to come into your heart it is irrelevant about how your life unfolds as we watch Does, is your faith bearing any fruit it's irrelevant doesn't matter you're going to heaven. But what we're going to see here in this passage is that saving faith is not merely a single act of receiving Jesus. Oh, there is. There's moments and sometimes you can pinpoint when that happened to you. Other times you can't pinpoint it. I, just, I don't know. I just love Jesus. So saving faith, it receives Jesus in order to go on trusting Him. It is a life of faith. And that's what Hebrews chapter 11 has already been teaching us. So r- remember the, the preface to this great chapter on faith. It's the last verse right before chapter 11. The writer tells our fellow brothers and sisters, mainly Jewish Christians, he says to them, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So he says, what's at stake is either shrinking back to destruction churchgoer, or pressing on in a life of faith, which leads to the preserving of the soul. In other words, the evidence of genuine saving faith is pressing on, perseverance. So let's watch this unfold in our passage. First, as we saw last week, In verse 7, right, with Noah, faith does not just appear in a vacuum of nothingness. There's always something that's prior to faith. So the idea that you believe, yes, I believe. What do you believe? You mean, what do I believe in? No, yeah, in what do you believe? I, I don't, I just believe. It's not faith. God's word, He has spoken, is prior. It's the foundation. It's the basis. It's the object of faith. What God has said. God speaks, God makes promises. Many of these promises are stuff that are still in the future. They're not present. Faith, we'll see with Abraham, believes his promise. Banks on it. And so these promises that God speaks, they're the object of what we have faith in. We trust God. That what he said... He will do. So let's pick it up again. Verse 8. Read it slowly. By faith. Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out to a place. That he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out. Not knowing where he was going. By faith. He went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For, here's his argument, he's saying, in other words, look at Abraham, do you see? He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So Abraham was called. was called by God. And God told him, leave. All that you've known. Leave your homeland. Okay. You know the count. We read it earlier in this service. That's the command. Leave, Abraham. And go to where I tell you. So why? Why should he do that? the answer in the Abraham story is because I, God, promise to bless you, Abraham, go. So do you see it? The basis of his faith is what God promised to do. That's why the writer says in verse nine, By faith he went. By faith he went to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. God made a a promise that they would inherit the land someday. Not yet. And the writer makes the same point then with Sarah in verse 11. By faith, Sarah, Abraham's wife, she herself received power to conceive a baby through Abraham. Even when she was past the age, menopause is long gone, and she was barren when she was young, Even though she was past the age, since she considered, here's her faith, Him, Yahweh, God, faithful, who had promised. God spoke, and He promised that barren, old Sarah would have a baby. Notice, faith, it regards God as Faithful to keep his promise. So faith, it's it's constructed on the foundation slab of what God has spoken to her or to Abraham. That's, That's the ground on which you build the house of faith. There's something prior. Has God spoken to you? Remember how this writer, in writing this sermon, letter, most likely a sermon, began the whole thing back in chapter 1. He opened this way. Long ago, in many times, and in many ways, God spoke. God Spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now on your phone or under those seats or you brought a paper Bible in there. He's refer- the prophets are in here. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. He has spoken. That's the answer to that question. And He has spoken to you because you're right here, right now. And when God the Son, after taking to His person human nature and becoming one of us. And on the other side of the cross, in His mortal human life, He spoke, and those words still ring through the atmosphere of mortals right now. He said it this way. Come unto Me, all you who are burdened, heavy laden been blessed enough to be ever conscious and present with the reality that we're all on a conveyor belt of death and judgment come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest for your soul He's speaking, and so what is faith? It's in God's. It's in what God has said. Is faith or trust it? Is that, that that's true? And it is first and foremost not an external act. It's a heart issue. It's a response of our deepest inner yearnings, longing. That are connected to. Can that be true? What I hear? About a human being being slaughtered on a cross. And all these eyewitnesses. Are they all lying? Did he really come back from the dead to new, immortal, human life? And, and, And that teaching that what happened on the cross... My sin was imputed to his account and God slaughtered him in his wrath, which I deserved. And many of us, owing nothing to us, were suddenly at one point or another awakened. That's real. That's a hard issue. That's what faith is. And that is the only faith that saves. And one is saved or justified by faith alone, apart from any external obedience or acts. Because that faith there, that is produced by the Holy Spirit, it's there before any outward response of obedience. The outward actions, then, of obedience are the fruit that grows out of that. They're not the thing. They're not the root. They're the fruit of that inner response of faith. You see, this is why throughout human history, not just in Jesus' day, but today, without a heart of faith, All outward acts of ceremony, of religion, of function, Jesus called them hypocrites, if it's not from a heart of faith. This is how he said it in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27 to 28, to his fellow religious contemporaries. Woe, W-O-E, meaning really bad coming to you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you Also, outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness, real disobedience. Faith, on the other hand, it trusts. That's what faith is, same word. Faith trusts. God's purpose for us. It often, though, if you all know too well, only has pieces of the puzzle as we walk through this life to where God is leading us. As the second part of verse 8 says, quote, And he, Abraham, went out not knowing Where he was going. But God said, go. Some of you are dealing with that right now. I don't know the whole future, but I know right now, my next step. Where are you going, Abraham? I'm not sure. But but I do know that the God who created me and everything that is not God, the one in whom I trust, He said to me, go. He pointed that way. And verse 10 tells us it's that faith that led Abraham to leave the security of what was known. The security of his home to a foreign land and live in large tents and move around. Why? Why did Abraham do it according to our text? Look at verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. There was something within Abraham. It was looking beyond, beyond even the physical land of Canaan. That's what drove him. Faith's main focus is not on the present reward, but it's on God. And ultimately, what he promises to do, which Abraham knew was long beyond his physical death in blessing all the Gentiles, all the nations through him and his descendants. Faith is not some simple positive thinking oh, what a person of faith, or some state of mind. Abraham had a deep faith in the midst of years and Decades of dealing with sandstorms blowing through his tents. While, all the while, he owned no land that God promised. He ended up owning a little piece, right? To bury Sarah. And that was it. But God promised something. And that's what drove him. Like Abraham, in this journey, on this side of the cross, on this side of our death, in being with the Lord, still awaiting the resurrection of the body, things don't always go well down here. But in the midst of valleys... A saving relationship of faith can be really strong in the midst of the storms. This faith that we see in this passage, it doesn't deny reality. It's not mind over matter. And this faith is not unreasonable or unscientific. Abraham and Sarah reasoned that it is impossible for us to procreate. I mean, we couldn't do it when Sarah was before menopause. Something was wrong. They reasoned that. They knew that. They didn't deny that. That's where faith actually comes in. Because that's where God spoke then. And promised that he would cause them to conceive Isaac. And so then we read in verses 11 and 12. And and this is, watch it, he's defining faith. That's where it comes in. They considered him. That's the point. In the midst of reason, scientifically, they considered him faithful. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive Isaac, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. And therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, very old, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven And as many as innumerable of the grains of sand by the seashore. So the foundation of their faith was what God promised. And that faith was something that happened internally in their heart. And it is that heart connection with the promise. That's what faith is. Which is the root of outward obedience. Of, a, of changed conduct. And that's how our passage begins. That's what it means when it says, By faith, there's the means, Abraham obeys. See it in what he did. God commanded him and he went. That work of obedience was not a legalistic work. That work was not, okay, I got faith. then God said, okay, now I'm going to obey. That obedience was not something that he added to his faith. When you do that, you get Paul very angry at you. Ask the Galatian churches with the Judaizing gospel infiltrating. That's not what that obedience is. If you add works as if it's somehow distinct from, I guess I'm a Christian, I ought not to do this, or I ought to do that, and there's nothing that's springing in your heart towards the Lord Jesus and God the Father by the Spirit. Help me by faith. Yes, where else shall I go? you got the words, tell me what to do. When you say, I guess I'm supposed to, that's when you're tripping over into legalism. But see, the text says, no, 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 by faith he obeyed. It is the obedience of faith that springs from faith. He left his secure home in Ur of the Chaldees to live in tents. And notice the text. Abraham, why did you obey God when he called you? to leave and to go. His answer, because he offered me a deal I couldn't refuse. What do you mean, Abraham? What I mean is, I was looking for trappiness. I was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer, and not a human being. Not immortal, whose designer and the builder of it is God. How could I not go? That's faith. Like Abraham, saving faith changes the way you live. Your new direction in life, the choices that you now on this side of your initial faith you start to make different choices. And they can only be explained by the definition of faith the way he began the chapter. Only explained by what faith is now. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction or really the evidence within me concerning the word of God, concerning the gospel Concerning the resurrection to come. It is the evidence of things. I can't see. There's still future. But he said. That's the passage. What does this have to do with us? Everything. Remember once again. The preface to the chapter 11 of Hebrews, all about faith. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are of those who have faith and preserve our souls. And and he will go on to say in chapter 12, right, verse 14, "To, to every professing Christian, as he says it to these professing Christians, these words. Strive. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Our text is showing us that the key to holiness, to Christian obedience to God in His Word is not something added to faith, but it is faith in the truth. It is the the treasuring of Jesus. It is your heart, as Paul would say, only because the Spirit of Jesus has been poured out into you, if you're a Christian, that cries out when no one's looking, Abba, Daddy. Father, and you're talking to the Creator of the universe. All believers then, if that's happened to you, see, that's the question. Paul knew. I go in to area after area, in each town in the area, and I preach what God has said and done. I preach Christ crucified. No one can possibly believe if they're left to themselves. That's what he says. Here's how he says it. I preach Christ crucified. First to the Jews. And to the Jews, that message is a stumbling block. They just fall on their face. They can't hear. And then to every other group, the rest of the world, who are not Jews, it's stupid, it's foolish, and they'll perish in their sin. And if that's all Paul said there in 1 Corinthians 1, then it's over. Though Jesus went to the cross, nobody would ever be saved. But he then the next thing he says is, but. But as I do that, but to those who are called. And he seems to mean every single person that will be called. But to those who are called, to them, Jesus is no longer a stumbling block. He's no longer, it's not any longer a foolish message. To them, something happens. Christ, personally, is the power of God and the wisdom of God to them. When that happens to a human being, it's called faith. They're saved. They're justified. That's what puts you now into a battle you did not have before. Competing desires. Because those desires were Christ, He's all, He's left us in and with our sinful nature. And now, we're almost schizophrenic. God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in us. And our flesh dwells in us. And so, the Christian life is temptation. Comes Temptation to disobey, temptation to sin, versus constantly God's offer of true pleasure. Comes with promises, comes with commands. All of God's commands to His children are for their good. And every time I sin, I am manifesting at that moment not faith in Him. I am essentially saying, I don't really believe when you said, don't do that, or do this, that you really want my happiness eternally for the most part. So think about it. In your life, Christian, temptation, where does it get its power from? Oh, well, we I was three days over there in Temecula, right? For a wedding, and rehearsal the day before, and food, and food, and Food. <laughs> the older you get, the more you get obsessed about food. You know, I want to see my grandkids. How do you try to be more healthy? It's just, how, what, but how does, if you just take that as an example, okay, I, I don't really, if I really think I should be smarter and n- not do that, and not eat that much, or those kinds, but why do I fail like I did? Because temptation gets its power by persuading us. That moment, yes, that would be more pleasurable than to resist. And so we do. In all sin, sinful temptation, it works the same way. So, what do you do? How do you battle that? Some people would say, well, you're a Christian, right? Be thankful to God and wake up, look at God's command, and just exercise your will. Obey Him. There's something crucial that's missing from that advice. The Christian life is not Nike. It's not, okay, I remember 43 years ago, he brought me to him. And, okay, I guess I've got to wake up today and just do it. That's not the Christian life. What is missing from that advice is faith. And and, and Paul was clear. I don't care if you're eating or drinking, decisions you make about, should I eat this meat, should I not eat that meat, should I do that? Anything you do, if it doesn't proceed from a heart of faith, it's sinful. The fight against sin, the fight against against arrogance within us, the fight against covetousness or bitterness or greed or sexual lust, fear. It is all, every moment, a fight of faith. And if it's not fought by faith, that's when you're slowly getting over into legalism. So, for example, temptation It comes and it's tempting. Look, I mean, there's, okay, put a piece of raw fish before me. Do not praise me for resisting. Do not think, wow, he's got a strong will, because it is not tempting in any way. Sinful temptations, they're tempting. Because at that moment, it feels like this will bring me the happiness I need. Of course, it's very short-sighted. That's the missing point. But that's the battle that we're constantly in. And that's why Paul says in Romans 8, verse 13, For if you, if you live according to your sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. Again, see how he said it there. By the Spirit. Not by yourself. And we know what Paul taught us in Ephesians 6. Take out the sword of the Spirit which is what it's the scripture it's the gospel it's it's the word of god and swords are made for killing shields for not getting killed swords for killing faith the shield the sword to kill kill the temptation the flesh that is you not owing to satan he may help or but it is our nature that remains with us, and we take the word, and the more the word gets into us, not merely legalistically, but prayerfully, Father, the light shines, and we see what we were so tempted for, ten minutes earlier, just diminish. Because the word of God cuts through all the deception. The Word of God says, why are you not trusting in me right now, Joe? So oh, help my unbelief. And the Spirit dwells within us. And then instead of the, the, the Word of temptation, God's Word, His promises entice us if we're believers. They entice us to, for instance, just come to me right now. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. He'll be what you need in this moment. Fear comes. Try waste seeing as Christians much about the future and the day and that resurrection and Christ defeated sin and He defeated death and, and you feed upon that and the Holy Spirit is so happy to take that and help us draw, draw near like David in Psalm 16 we may say stuff like You make known, David had scripture too, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures, much more delicious than those donuts of sin. And so, if by praying and meditating over the Word that results in satisfaction in God and His promises at that moment in that minute, then the power of temptation and its lies are broken. Oh, you're going to have a battle three hours later again, and tomorrow again. I'm just going. I'm to the place now and dealing with, with. Uh, our sinful natures, particularly in sex and pornography, that I, I just—that's I, the only answer I know, and I know that so many people get caught up, and it is such a bondage, like heroin. But I—that's the only thing I know. Ultimately, you gotta draw near. You gotta be desperate, because this. It just works simply like this. This is so tempting. I gave in yesterday. Am I going to give in again today? Feed upon the Word. Meditate upon the Word. And then something changes. It's still the same temptation that you see it for what it is. It's a bowl of stale Cheerios. But right beside it with the Word of God and God's promises... There's a sizzling ribeye steak. And you know what? Now, see, now it's like you're relaxed. That's easy. Let's go worship. Because that battle now had been won. 30 minutes ago, that sin's temptation had you or me believing this is what would really be the best for me right now, this day, this hour, this afternoon. But now, faith in God's word is shining light on the deception of sin. That's the Christian life. Because we replace the temptation of disobedience and dishonoring of God and going down a path that will lead to destruction to us, we replace it with a much more desirable promise of real life and real joy. And that is our text. It goes like this. By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, we obey. So let's go on. Taking up the sword of the Spirit. And by the Holy Spirit, fight the fight of faith in God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You know, as you brought that passage to mind, what Paul said, you have come to know God, or rather to be known by Him. And we know it because you have poured out the Spirit of your Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We thank you for these precious Bibles, books, the Internet, all kinds of ways where so much of church history could not access the Scripture as easily as we can. We thank you that you have set us in this time, in this place, and in this world as lights. And we thank you that for all of us who have come to saving faith, we will all make it. We will all have our souls preserved because all about this message itself is you began it and you will complete it until the day of Christ. And we thank you for that. Amen and amen. Let us stand and worship our great King and Savior.